for the lesson, for what God was sharing with me. And um, man, heard a, a rumbling outside. I didn't know what it was. Didn't you know there's supposed to be any storms. And I went running into the into the back foyer. And when I got back there, I looked out and seen those oak trees over there just about bending in double. You know, and I thought, man, here come they're fixing a tree, fixing to come right through this glass glass windows here. So where I ran into, I ran right back out of and ran back into here. And by the time I got into the sanctuary, both back doors blew straight open and rain was just pouring in, soaked the back floor, uh, the floor back there. And um, I thought, man, this is it, God, this is how it's going to happen. Okay, Lord, this is, if this is the way it's going to happen, I guess that's the way it's got to be. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I know in whom I've trusted. I know that I've been born again in the family of God by faith in Christ. It's not because of who I am or because of who he is and what he's done for me that I have eternal life. I get that. I just don't want to get to heaven by way of a tornado. And so um, praise be unto the Lord. Uh, and I think that's what it was that passed over the church last, last week, man. It got rough here really bad. And so we canceled service. Um, and I'm just thankful that everything went well. And uh, and nobody nobody got hurt, but man, it was um, it was something else. So I'll, I'm thankful for the weather we've got tonight. I really am. Take your Bibles, turn with me to First Corinthians chapter number six. And like I said before, I'm thankful that you are here this evening to be in the study of the Word of God. I'm thankful that you've made this a priority in your life, and that's what you've done. There's a whole lot of other places you could have been this evening, a whole lot of other things you could have been doing. But I promise you this: nothing is more beneficial to the child of God than getting a hold of the truth of the Word of God. Do you believe that? There's power in the Word of God. And I'm telling you, when you apply it to your life, it sets you free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, you continue in my truth, the truth will set you free. And I believe that. I've experienced that in my own life. And so I'm so thankful that you are here tonight and made that a priority for yourselves. Um, we're going to look as far as we can into chapter 6 this evening. Brand new chapter. We haven't been here before. And so if you will listen fast, I'm going to talk fast, and we're going to get as far as we can into 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and there's really um, several different topics that I want to talk to you about tonight. And I want to start with verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, um, there's three specific things that we need to see this evening. First of all, you need to see the problem. Then you need to see the perspective of the Apostle Paul and then you need to see the prescription that he gives. And he gives um, us a prescription just like he gave to the church at Corinth. How I many you know this is a living word? This is God ordained. This is God breathed. And so what God says to his people then, he is saying to his people now. It's not what God has said, but what God is saying. So we need to see the problem. We certainly need to see the perspective and have the same perspective as the Apostle Paul and follow the prescription. So let's look at the problem. What is it? Starts in verse number 1. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And so what Paul is speaking about here, evidently there's brothers in the church that are in a lawsuit against one another. They've had some kind of little squabble, and he'll go on to say it's a little matter. I don't know what the matter is, but it must have been a little matter, um, according to the Apostle Paul. And he says, How dare you? take that little matter between two brothers in Christ and go out into a lost and dying world and ask a judge who don't know the Lord to, uh, to uh, render his judgment. He said that's not how these things are supposed to work. And the problem was really this. Look down to verse number 6, and we'll come back to the rest of it in just a moment. Look how he puts it, verse number 6, but a brother goes to law against brother 
and that before unbelievers. And so really what Paul is saying, you're ruining the testimony of the church when you take these matters outside the church. So what's he saying? Brothers in Christ shouldn't be suing brothers in Christ. That ain't how this works. If we say that we are the family of God, if we say that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus, if we say that we love one another as Christ loved us, then folks, that ain't how things are supposed to work. And Paul says, when you do this, that's showing a lost and dying world that you really are not what you claim to be, or at least you're not acting like it. And so it's very important that we remember that. That's the problem. So then he talks about his perspective, and I really like this part. Look what he says in verse number 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Again, it must have been a pretty small matter that they were going to court um, over here and suing one another against. And Paul says, you know what? You're one day going to judge the world. So in some capacity, as a follower of Christ, one day we're going to stand in judgment of the world itself. That's an amazing thing when I see that. That blows my mind. I don't really know all that that entails, but I do believe this. As a believer, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And as if you're a believer, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And one day, we're going to stand with Him, for Him, in Him, over the judgment of the world itself. That's an amazing thing. But then he says something else. And this really blew me away. Look what he said in verse number 3 there. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, he says we're going to judge angels. And I've got to make a confession to you this evening. When I was a little boy, up until the time that I actually started studying the Word of God myself, I had a wrong perception of what heaven was or heaven is or what it's going to be. I really did. And that was because of a lot of different things. First of all, it was because of how I saw heaven portrayed. I remember, and, and things like angels portrayed. I remember when I was, I was younger, there was a, a, um, a very popular television show, and Michael Landon was starring in it, and it was called uh, Highway to Heaven. Do you all remember that? And it was about him becoming an angel. That's all the story was about. And then there were uh, shows when I was growing up called Touched by an Angel. you all remember that? One of my absolute favorite Christmas movies of all time, even though it's not theologically correct, is, um, what was it, with Clarence the Angel? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, one of my favorite Christmas movies. But it, is, it isn't theologically correct. And then I would hear people say things like this. They would say, oh, so-and-so, they died the other night, and you know what? They finally got their angel wings. Now, that gave me a wrong perception of what heaven was going to be because I would look then at paintings and, and, and pictures in my Bible and I would see how angels were portrayed. And for what I could see, the angels I saw, most of them that were portrayed in those pictures looked like fat babies who played harps. Y'all remember them? That's what they looked like. And so I didn't want to look like a fat baby with the prissy wings. And, and I don't even like harp music. You know, and so I was thinking, and everybody was saying, well, we're just going to worship forever in heaven. So my thought was this. All we're going to do in heaven is I'm going to sit on a cloud looking like a flat, fat baby with prissy wings playing harps. And I don't even like harps. And so I w wasn't really excited about heaven. I didn't really understand 
just how wonderful, just how glorious, just how amazing heaven is really going to be. The Apostle Paul said, we, we don't know what God has laid up for us. We, we can't even imagine how good it's going to be. Amen. But until I started studying the Word of God, I had the wrong perception. When I, got, when I began really getting in the Word myself, I began to see just how awesome heaven is going to be and what we really have to look forward to. First of all, I'll let you in on something. You're never going to be an angel. And I'm never going to be an angel. Now, I may look like a fat baby before it's all over with, but I'm never going to have the prissy wings and you're not either. None of us are ever, nobody who dies becomes angels. None of your loved ones that have went on to be with the Lord became an angel. Let me tell you this. Angels are created for a specific purpose by God. Human beings are created for a specific purpose by God. And those purposes are very, very different. God has already created the angels and he has created human beings. And what I found out as I began to study the word of God is that, listen to me, I'm not going to become an angel. I'm going to become something so much better. And if you are a Christ follower, you too are going to become something so much better. You say, brother, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible teaches that when I enter into my glorified body, I will be just like Jesus is. Let that roll around just a moment. I will be just as he is. I'm not going to be like an angel. I'm going to be like Jesus. You're not going to be like an angel. You're going to be like Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh on anybody. I know people sometimes are just trying to make folks feel better when they say they got their angel wings. I know where they're coming from, but it's wrong. We're going to be like Jesus as the people of God. That's ultimately our purpose. Now that began the moment I got saved. God began the work of making me more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in me. <laughs> and that will ultimately culminate when I enter in my glorified body in heaven itself. What a blessing. Praise God I get to go to heaven. I will be like him and you will be too. We will stand in judgment of angels. So Paul's perspective is this. If we're going to stand with Jesus, in Jesus, over the judgment of the world itself and over angels throughout eternity, if we're going to do that, what he's saying is, could we not handle some of these little matters that you're taking out of the church and bringing before an unbelieving world? That's his question. Can we not? We should be able to. Then he goes on and gives a prescription. He gives the problem. He gives the perspective. Look at the prescription. Look what he says, starting in verse number 5. He says this, watch. I say this to your same. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between the brethren? He says, what you need to do is look, out, look for someone in the body of Christ who has the wisdom of God, who can make decisions in the matters that you're dealing with. He asked the question in verse number four. I skipped it for a reason. Let's go back. If you have been, if you then, if then had you, you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, he said, why would you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? And, and, and according to what he's saying, we don't take these small matters before 
a lost and dying world. Why? Because they don't even have the Spirit of God. How can they really have the wisdom of God if they don't have the Spirit of God? Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you getting what he's saying? So he said, don't, don't ruin the testimony of the church by dealing with this stuff. And he goes a step further. Watch what else he says. Verse 7. Now therefore it is already an utter failure to you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? He says, no, you yourselves wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Paul said, before I would ruin the testimony of the church, I'd let myself lose a little bit or a lot. I'd even let myself be cheated if it's going to ruin the testimony or ruin my testimony. He says then, verse number 9, or excuse me, verse number 8, know you yourselves wrong and cheat and you do these things to who? The brethren. Oh, folks, we're a family here. Amen? That's how I see you. Hope that's how you see me. That's how we're supposed to see one another. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we are blood kin by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ has been applied to my heart and life and it's been applied to your heart and life. Let's act like brothers. That's what Paul's telling us. Don't ruin the testimony by handling things outside the church that can be handled inside the church. So that's verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, he's talking about legal matters. In verses 9 through 11, he's talking about some lewd and very crude matters. Let's look at them. Verse number 9, what's what, he, what he says. Know you yourselves, um, excuse me, 9, not 8. Do you not know that the right, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Then he gives us a list. And he says several things here, and I'm going to go through every one of them, all right? Because I want us to all be on the same page as to what we're talking about. First of all, he says fornication. Now, what is fornication? He says, those who practice fornication as a lifestyle cannot say they know the Lord or are going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, what is fornication? It's sex outside the boundary of marriage. Let me tell you what the book of Hebrews says about the marriage covenant. It says, the marital bed is undefiled. The marital bed is undefiled. Any kind of sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage is defiled. Are you getting me? Now, I know what people think. Well, Pastor, you're just being old-fashioned. I mean, look, it's 2022. Is that really that big a deal? Yes. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. Because God has not changed His mind on it. He has not changed, and His Word has not changed. And if we're going to be in a sexual relationship with someone else, you need to marry them. That's God's standard. He says, do not live in fornication. All right? Let's go to the next one. He says, then idolaters. Now, idolaters, as spoken of in this verse, is specifically speaking about those who worship false gods. Now, I know what we, what we say sometimes that, hey, anything you put before God becomes your idol, and I get what we say in that, but here, the word that is used is specifically speaking about those who worship false religions, all right? Now, it's important that we talk about this because this is super relevant to the day in which we live. Uh, let me give you an ism tonight that we need to talk about and understand. It's called omnism. Has anybody ever heard of omnism? Omnism is the belief 
that regardless of what religion you practice, we're all worshiping the same God, the same entity, the same mind, the same force, however they put it. If you're talking about the New Age religion, they're going to talk about the force. They're going to talk about uh, the, the power of the universe. If you're talking about other religions, they may talk about uh, the great mind. And, and, and they say, well, as long as we're worshiping, we're all worshiping the same God and it leads to the same place. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you why it doesn't. It doesn't because Jesus said it don't. You say, brother, why do you say, why, why, what does it matter what Jesus says? Well, he's the only one who conquered the grave. That's what makes the difference. Let me tell you why I trust in Jesus and not in Buddha. Because Buddha didn't conquer the grave. Let me tell you why I trust in Jesus and not in Muhammad. Because Muhammad didn't conquer the grave. They're still worshiping over at the grave of Muhammad all the time. I don't worship Muhammad. He's just a man like I was. How do I know it? He's still in the grave. So why do I worship Jesus? Why do I listen to Jesus? Why do I honor Jesus or try to in my life? I'll tell you why. Why is he Lord? Because he conquered the grave. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 16. Pastor, you being awful dogmatic? No, I'm not. Jesus is. Jesus is. He said it. He didn't say, I'm a way or I'm some way. If he had said, I'm a way, that would leave all kinds of different doors open for all kinds of different religions to be thrown in there. If he had said, I'm some way, that would let all kinds of doors open for all kinds of different religions to be thrown in there. Let me tell you something. Jesus was very dogmatic in saying, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to know the Father, I am the way. Now, a man can believe what he chooses to believe. You can believe what you choose to believe. I can believe what I can choose to believe. Listen, the man who practices Islam, he can choose what he chooses to believe. So can the Buddhist. I don't care who, the New Age guy. He can, he can practice whatever he chooses to believe. That does not change the fact that Jesus conquered the grave and the one who conquered the grave said, I am the way. I'll even say this. I'll give respect to the man who worships another religion. I'm not mad at him. You shouldn't be either. Why in the world would we be mad at a man who's spiritually dead? Who's blind, the Bible says. Who has been blinded by the God of this world. I'm not going to be mad at a blind man for bumping into stuff. Why? Because he's blind. I'm not going to be mad at a blind man for going in the wrong direction. Why? Because he's blind. That's what blind men do. I'm not trying to be insensitive to blind people. I'm just telling you. Are you getting me? That man's blind. All he needs is the light of Jesus. That's what he needs. Just like I used to be blind, he's blind. So I'm not mad at him. I can respect his viewpoint. However, if he is worshiping anybody else... Besides Jesus, if he places his trust in anybody else besides Jesus, then he's on the wrong path. You may tell you why. Jesus said, I am the way. He's got the wrong truth. You may tell you why. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. And he'll never really know life because Jesus said, I am the life. And Jesus conquered the grave.
Amen? That's the difference. So, folks, let me tell you something. Don't you believe the lie that all religions lead to God? No, it doesn't. Jesus said, I am the way. So, the Bible says, if you're worshiping false gods, then as a practice in your life, then something's wrong there. Adulterers. What are that? What's that? That's those who are married who go outside the bonds of marriage for the purpose of having a sexual relationship. And again, Pastor, you're just being old-fashioned, and my goodness, it's 2022, and everybody's doing it. Well, just because everybody's doing it is popular does not mean it's right. It doesn't, folks. We've got to be committed. When you made the commitment in marriage, you didn't just make it to your husband or to your wife. You made it before the Lord, and that's a big deal. God says it's a very big deal. All right, let's go on. Effeminate. The effeminate and those who are abusers of themselves with mankind go together. Let me tell you why. I'll explain it to you. The effeminate are those who practice the homosexual lifestyle. Or those who are men but act in an unmanly way. Very important that we talk about this right now. I love the relevance of God's Word. I didn't plan this for this month. I didn't plan this for this day. But we are where we are. I think God planned it. So I want to share it with you. Do you know right now there's something happening in this country that I never thought would happen? We are actually practicing from the White House all the way to the schoolhouse Gay Pride Month throughout the month of June. Now, I want you to look this up. A lot of people don't know about it. But right now, there is a federally funded program that's happening in public schools all over this country called the Drag Queen Story Hour. All right? And what that is, they are actually paying drag queens to come to public. I'm talking about federally funded schools. Your tax dollars are going to this. They're paying drag queens to come to school and read to kindergartners. They do it for an hour. It's called the Drag Queen Story Hour. Now think about that just a moment. They're not going to let me or any other pastor or any other believer go in and preach the gospel from the Bible. But we will allow a drag queen to come in and teach our children. Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was a prophet, there's ever been one, said something many years ago that's always stuck with me. He said this. He said, if we sneak sin, that which used to slink down back alleys will strut down Main Street. That's never been more true than it is today. They're not just proud today. They're being celebrated today. Folks, listen to me. It's a shameful time when that which God calls an abomination is being celebrated in the street. But that's the world we live in. You say, brothers, does that... I'm not even going to go there yet. We'll go on further. All right. Effeminate are those that are abusers of, of themselves with mankind. That word that is, that is translated there is the word catamite or sodomite. A catamite who is a sodomite is a young boy or a teenage boy in that day who was not yet rich manhood who were selling themselves to men. 
It's a dark world we live in. Still going on today, all over the globe, even in the good old USA. And Paul says, no, that shouldn't even be named of among the people of God. You can't say if you're practicing this lifestyle that you know the Lord. Something's wrong there. All right, let's go on. Look what else it says. Covetous, or, or excuse me, nor thieves. So what does that mean? We all know what a thief is, and God hates thievery. That's why he said, thou shalt not steal. All right? Then he says the covetous. I, I, I heard something from Dr. David Jeremiah this past week that absolutely blessed my heart. That brother always blessed my heart. But he said something that I love. He was preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he said the most broken commandment of all the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. And he's right. We don't even think about it, but it is. Let me tell you why we've got most of the commandments. Because we covet. To covet is to want something someone else has so bad you're willing to sin to get it. Why do you think the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery? Because there's going to be somebody coveting, wanting somebody else's wife or husband. Why do you think the Bible says thou shalt not steal? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's going to be somebody coveting, wanting somebody else's stuff enough to steal it, enough to sin. And so he says, the covetous, if that's the pattern of your life, something's wrong. Let's go on. Then he says drunkards, all right? The word drunkards here, let me tell you what this means. According to the Greek language, it is meskakos. And what that's talking about is a drunken sot. So what's a sot? Well, a sot is a habitual drunkard. A habitual drunkard is someone who lives to drink and don't think they can live without drinking, okay? And he says, those who are controlled by alcohol, something's wrong there, okay? And let me say something to you. We've talked about this before. I don't think you can make a biblical case for complete abstinence from alcohol. I don't think you can. There are several instances where the Bible says otherwise. However, there is always a case to be made for drunkenness. Always. Always. And he says those who are controlled by alcohol, something's wrong. All right, let's go on. What else he say? He says revilers. Now, this one blowed me away. What's a reviler? A reviler is a slanderer. Okay? You are never, ever more like Satan than when you slander someone else. Let me tell you why. The very word devil, diabolos, in the Greek, actually means slanderer. Why? Because the devil himself is a slanderer of the saints. He's an accuser of the saints. Now, another good word. Let me give you a good synonym for slanderer. For a reviler, a gossip. That's what he's saying. Isn't it funny how many times we can hate the sin of somebody else and not even think about our own sin? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that God puts gossiper right in here with drunkard, right in here with the homosexual, right in here with a dilator? You better be careful. What you say about somebody else. I'm telling you, God takes that very seriously. Don't be a slanderer. Don't be a reviler. Let's go on. He says, then extortioners. An extortioner is a thief on steroids. Really what it is. It's a thief 
who uses any means necessary to get what he wants, whether it be threats or violence, that's an extortioner. Now, that's all of verse number 10. How many of y'all glad we done with 9 and 10? I was teaching a Sunday school class years ago, and we were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and this passage of Scripture right here. And I got done with 9 and 10, I said, how y'all feel about 9 and 10? There's a dear brother sitting in the back of the class. I'll never forget him. Just had been saved about three or four weeks earlier. God had done a great work in his life. Miraculously saved him. He was new to Jesus. And I'm telling you, he's on fire for the Lord. He looked up at me. Big tears rolling down his face. He said, I'll tell you what I think about 9 and 10. If not for 11, we'd all go to hell. He's right. He's right. He's right. He's right. See, because the truth is, I bet you we could all look at that list, if we're honest, and find ourselves. Every one of us. Look at 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. Praise Jesus. Though our sins be as scarlet, they can be washed whiter than snow. Isaiah 1.16 But you were sanctified. To be sanctified is to be cleaned up and separated for the purpose of God. Oh, watch this now. But you were justified. Wow. Do you remember that? How we talked about this a few weeks ago? What's justified mean? What did you say? Just as if I'd never sinned. See, God has so saved us by His grace. This is how amazing grace is. When God looks upon us, He sees us, not in our sin, but He sees the precious blood of His Son. We've been washed. He sees us just as if we'd never sinned. Wow. Your position has changed, believer. You were once outside of Christ, now you're in Christ. Praise the Lord. That ought to make you want to sing Amazing Grace. I want you to think about that. Think about this verse. Every time you sing Amazing Grace and then sing it. Why? If not for grace, we're all doomed. God showed us His grace through the person of His Son and His finished work so that we could be forgiven of sin. In the name of our Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God, Washed by the blood, made alive by the Spirit. That's what's happening, happened, and happening to every single born again believer. Blows me away. Absolutely amazing. Now then, let me ask you something. Is it possible for a blood bought born again believer to commit some of the sins previously mentioned? In verses 9 and 10. I say yes. 
Let me tell you why. Anytime we choose to allow the flesh to be in control instead of the spirit to be in control, then all we're ever going to do is sin. You said, brother, what are you talking about, the flesh and the spirit? I'm talking about when we were born again, the Bible says we were given a new nature. The Holy Spirit of God now indwells us. We are now the temple of God. He lives in absolutely every believer who's placed their faith in Christ. Every one of us. He lives in us. And now we have a new spirit nature. However, we still got the old nature. How do I know that? Because I know me. Let me tell you how you know that. Deep down you know you too. We all know, don't we? We all know there's still within us the ability and the desire, if we let it out of control, to do things not pleasing unto the Lord. How do I know this according to Scripture? King David, I guess one. Moses, that's another. Let me give you a really good one. Noah, look him up. That's another. Abraham, the father of the faith, that's another. You look at Abraham, I'm telling you, Abraham had some problems. He did. He, he lied several times about some stuff that he shouldn't have been lying about. He acted in a cowardly way, didn't protect his wife, and lied about the whole thing. Abraham went ahead of God instead of waiting on God and got the whole world in a mess. What I'm trying to say is we still have the ability to sin. Even the sins that are mentioned. David himself, what did he do? The man after God's own heart committed adultery, lied about it, committed murder to cover it up, did all that. So how do we reconcile this? Well, I'll tell you how. For the child of God who sins, two things are going to happen. Two of them that, are going to, that both start with C, so you can remember them, all right? First of all, when a child of God sins, conviction takes place, okay? He said, brother, what's conviction? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life when he starts putting his finger on those things that are not pleasing unto the Lord. That happens so many times with me. You know? A lot of times, they're not on this list. A lot of times, they're regular, menial, everyday tasks. And God is just like God says, nah, not, not that. Let me give you one. I just deleted my Facebook account for a reason. And I'm not against you if you've got one. Because that can be used for good. We try to use it for good around here. I mean, we put our services on and, and, you know, people who are not in town, hey, some of them watch it. And if that's that's a blessing to others, great. Uh, and, and you could be a blessing on there too. But I'm just telling you from my own point of view, I was just getting mad every time I got on there. You know? I just get mad about everything. I thought, why am I worrying myself over this silly mess? Why am I spending so much time worried about this? Why am I allowing this to lead me in the wrong direction? 
So just for me, I'm not saying for you, you do your thing. Whatever between you and the Lord. I'm just saying for me, I just went ahead and got rid of it. Okay? Now, listen to me. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was just like God said, it's time to leave that alone. Holy Spirit puts his finger on those things, and he convicts us. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Anybody in there got using an alarm clock? I don't much anymore, but I used to have to. It's funny now. I'll get up. I get up five minutes before the alarm clock ever goes off. Now, a lot of times I'll lay there and act like I'm asleep, so Miss Brandy will go turn it off. <laughs> she knows it, too. <laughs> I'll lay there before and act like I've I'm, I'm been awake for ten minutes. But I'll act like it. And I'll think, man, she'll get up in a minute, so I'll just keep laying there. I can handle it. I can even sleep through it if I really try. And that's my point. Let me tell you what happened before I started waking up, before the alarm clock would go off. Um, I'd be there in the morning. And I knew if I did not get up, there was going to be some consequences to being late. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I get to work. You can get rolled up. You can get in trouble with the boss. Looks bad. Starts the day off wrong. All of those things can happen. However, it felt so good. To lay in that bed for five more minutes. You know what I'm talking about? And when that alarm would go off, I'd want to punch that sucker through the wall. You know what I'm talking about? We had one of them old style. Just rattle the bed. And I was like, snooze, man. Hit that thing. You know, just couldn't hardly handle it. Knowing that I needed to get up or there was going to be consequences that would hurt me. Now, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit is like that alarm clock for the believer. And when things are happening in your life, you're getting into something that you know you really ain't supposed to be getting into that God's not pleased with, the Holy Spirit of God will let you know that. He'll, he'll let you know in your spirit. Now, you say, Rosal, what are you talking about in your spirit? I, I'm not going to say that I've ever heard God speak with a great big booming voice from the heavens. I'm not saying God can't handle that. I'm, I'm saying Israel probably couldn't handle it. But I, I'm just saying for me, God speaks to my spirit. It's more of me just knowing deep down on the inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like a spiritual intuition, I guess is the best way to put it. When God just, he lets me know, you know, and, and that's what will happen. When God lets you know something is, that's what he's doing. It's that alarm clock. Now we got a choice to make. You can keep hitting the snooze button. You can not heed the warning. But when you don't heed the warning, there's going to be consequences. Just like being late for work, there's going to be consequences. And those consequences, that's chastisement. First conviction, then chastisement. He said, Brother, where you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Brother, if you will, please put for me verse number 6 on the screen. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loves, what's he do? He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Let's go to the next verse. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, to chasten um, is to really, um, for, better, for lack of a better term, take you out behind the woodshed. All right? God tans you high. Y'all know what that's like. If you grew up in my house, you knew what it was like. 
tell you that. So I'm just saying, that's what God does to his children. Now, why does he do that? Because we're sons and daughters. If you, don't, if you are not enduring chastisement after you have ignored conviction, you better check in whom you place your faith. Are you hearing me? And God chastises his children in many different ways. He does it all kinds of different ways. He has for me in many different ways. It can be physical chastisement, financial chastisement, emotional chastisement, all kinds of different ways. God can get your attention. Because that's really what a father does when his children are going in the wrong direction. He gets their attention. That's what chastisement, that's what discipline is all about. So for the child of God who gets into sin, there'll be conviction. And then if you don't heed that warning, if you don't hear that alarm clock, then you keep hitting that snooze button. And there's going to be some chastisement. There'll be some consequences. Now, how many in here like to whip your kids? If anybody raises their hand, you need to see me after service. Please don't misunderstand when I say this stuff, okay? There's a difference in discipline and, uh, and abuse. I'm never for abuse. Never. And if you're doing that, you need help. So let's see me after church, all right? We'll talk about it. But now, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, just like I hate to chastise mine, God hates to chastise us. But if I really love my kids, I better show them some discipline. If I don't show them some discipline, they're going to pay for it later and so am I. If God does not show us discipline, we're going to pay for it. And guess what else? He will too. Why? Because we bring offense to his name. That's a dangerous game. Dangerous game. So can a believer commit some of these sins? Absolutely. But when he does, there's going to be conviction. There's going to be chastisement. It'll happen. What time we got? That's time. Let me tell you what I'm going to do next week. Lord willing. Do you know there are certain things in the Word of God that we know we shouldn't do? And there are certain things in the Word of God that we know we should do? I mean, it's right there in black and white, isn't it? Some of the things that we talked about tonight, I mean, we know the Bible says thou shalt not steal, so we don't do that. We know the Bible says we should honor the Lord our God and Him alone shall we serve. We should put Him first. We know we should do that, but sometimes we don't do it. So that's black and white things. Is it always easy to figure out what's right and wrong in the gray area? Is it for you? Because if you're honest, if we're all honest, there are some gray areas. Am I right? The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not go to an X-rated movie, does it? Does it say that? The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke pot. Does it say that? So how do we know what to do and when to do it? What not to do? We'll get into that next week. I want to show you six different ways right here from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we can know that. God's Word gives us everything we need. Anybody got anything, comments or questions?